Dotnet Rocks episode 651 with guest Corey Fowler. Recorded live Tuesday, March 15th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell. I got a little bit of a cold today. Sorry if I sound a little froggy. So, how are you, sir? I am well. I'm having a good time. I've got no complaints. I have the best job in the world. I have good friends I talk to on a regular basis. What more could you ask for? Um, I, a few things, but nothing big. Nothing big. World peace. Nuclear yeah. reactors that don't melt down. Yeah. And uh, you know, some way to deal with waves that is better than what we're doing today. Yeah. We wish the Earth would stop moving underneath <laughs> us. Yeah. I yeah. heard that the island of Japan, well, the main island of Japan, Honshu, moved like 13 feet during that. <laughs> because of that massive earthquake. Because of that which, earthquake. Which they, which they now consider a nine. 13 feet closer to the United States. That's what I heard, anyway. Wow. I can't confirm or deny it, however, but that's what I heard. That's just going to save a lot of flying time. So our, our hearts and our feelings go out to the Japanese people. It's a horrible thing, and uh, we hope it doesn't happen again. Let's get back into it with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. Well, we're talking about Azure today, so I, I, I'm, I'm saying, okay, I've had enough Silverlight in Windows Phone Better Know Framework for a while. Good. Let's talk about something else. Yeah. What so you did got? you know there's a relay configuration installer exe tool in the Azure App Fabric SDK, which lets you easily add the machine.config settings necessary for the service bus bindings to be supported in the config file. Cool. Command and it's also located in the installer slash assemblies directory of the Azure App Fabric SDK. Command line options slash I to add an entry or entries slash U to remove entries from okay. the machine config. So it's this little tool that you may not have known about. And I made a tiny URL link, tinyurl.com slash relay config installer. That'll take you to the documentation. And also there's a, not only an EXE tool, but there's a class that you can use to accomplish the same thing programmatically. Oh, so it's a tool and a class. It's both. It's a classy tool. It's a classy tool. I like a it. A tooly class. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Very, very topical for today there, Carl. I well thought done. so. Thank you. So who's uh, who wants a mug today? I've uh, grabbed a comment off of the fancy new website. And uh, this is from show 642, which was Bruce Lawson and Remy Sharp on HTML5 and their great photographs. Uh-huh. You remember those crazy pictures? Uh-huh. Uh, and this is from Steve Kennedy, who says, First off, great job on the new site stuff. I love it, and no complaints. But HTML5? HTML version 1 did everything I needed it to. It displayed text and showed pictures. Netscape Navigator rendered it just fine, and I liked it. Wow. Okay, he's just kidding. 
I used to be sick and tired of running into cross-browser incompatibilities, but I finally accepted that there will be no savior when it comes to compatible browser implementations of specifications. Well, there you go. Don't get me wrong. I will have fun implementing HTML5, but I won't believe it will solve compatibility issues. It will just be another spec update in a series of spec versions that each browser will implement differently. I'm now waiting for the day I will have to implement cross-browser and also cross-standards code, one HTML code standard for W3C and one for what WG. Fun times. Mm-hmm. Now, Steve, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but this is definitely a point we've been pushing on with all of these HTML5 shows, and they've really been reassuring us that the level of testing and the sophistication of the specifications are trying to mitigate that. So there's effort being made. I don't know they'll necessarily succeed, but I think we're going to be able to hold their feet to the fire a lot harder when it isn't compatible. But I appreciate your thinking. I'm going to send you a mug. And if you've got questions, concerns, criticisms, ideas for show, you can uh, write a comment on the show of your choice. That's somewhere right. on our new website at .netrocks.com or send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net. And if you do leave a comment, make sure that you give us some way to get in touch with you uh, so we can send you a mug or just listen to the show. And if right. we read your email, send us an email and let us know. Because Steve Kennedy, what he did is he signed up his account with Discus, our comment engine, using his Facebook account. So I was able to click on that and send him a message to Facebook to say, hey, I want to send you a mug. Because we want to give away mugs. We really do. We do. <laughs> well, I'm really excited because our guest is Corey Fowler. Corey refers to himself as a developer as a service. <laughs> Kind of like that. He is a technology community leader, mentor, and speaker that enjoys sharing his passion for software development with others. Corey has been awarded a Microsoft MVP award for his focus on Windows Azure. Even with his head in the clouds, Corey finds himself developing a wide range of solutions, including, but not limited to, websites with ASP.NET, MVC, and Silverlight, Windows Phone 7 applications with Silverlight and XNA, and other solutions using the C-sharp programming language. Even though Corey works primarily on the Microsoft stack, he has worked with open-source languages in the past and supports a number of open-source software projects. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. We understand that, um, that you do quite a bit in the cloud with PHP. Yeah, I've been starting to play around a lot with uh, PHP on Windows Azure. Uh, it's it's one of the areas that no one's really focusing on right now, and I think open source should really have more of a focus in in the cloud, even on the Microsoft stack. Isn't open source software and you know even running on Linux and Linux servers in the cloud and PHP isn't that pretty prevalent? I mean, not necessarily on Azure, but it's pretty dominant, isn't it? Yeah, uh, open source is really dominant on. I'd have to say most likely Amazon Web Services. Yeah, uh, more so than Azure, but uh, Microsoft's done a really great job of allowing people to run PHP, Ruby, Python, and even Java uh, on Azure, and and you know they they're trying to make it a lot better for people to try to move over to the Windows Azure platform. So, what kinds of uh, applications are you are you running in on Azure in PHP? Um, right now, I'm mostly just using WordPress on Azure. Um, I'm starting to look at a couple of different applications um, that were kind of using PHP 
uh, or we're trying to migrate a couple of people from uh, their existing PHP application onto Windows Azure just to get them into the cloud computing area, um, the unlimited resources that they need uh, mm-hmm. alongside um, just you know, making sure that their application can be available for their, their customers. Well, and it strikes me that that's the main reason to run PHP in that scenario is that is the code base that's available to use, particularly WordPress. Right, but all sorts yep. of other blogs and, and portals as well. What are you using for a data store with WordPress? Um, right now, I'm using the, the SQL Azure backend using the SQL Server uh, driver for, for, uh, for WordPress. Well, not for WordPress, but it's just the SQL Server driver for PHP. Oh, okay. Uh, and then that allows the connectivity between SQL Azure and PHP. So that makes it definitely a hybrid, because typically you think PHP with, with MySQL. Yeah, um, and there is a solution to run MySQL in the cloud, um, but it doesn't really seem like a a full-time scenario. Uh, there's a lot of things you need to worry about, like failover and... Uh, if you want to run multiple databases in the back end, there's a lot of synchronization code that you kind of have to run to to make sure that your master and your secondary databases are, are always synced up together. So I went and erred on the side of caution and started using the Azure platform a little bit more uh, right. and tried to get away from the possible failing scenarios. What what kind of experience is the install experience for PHP on Azure? Are there any gotchas there? Um, there's a couple of gotchas. Uh, I, I, I built a, a three, three post blog series on installing PHP on Windows Azure. And basically the main gotcha, uh, was, well, before the web platform installer had a command line tool, which is what I'm using now, mm-hmm. uh, you basically had to upload the entire PHP, uh, application within your solution and then post that to Azure. And then Azure would handle running the fast CGI plugin in the background. Um, now you can actually go ahead and using a startup task, go and run the uh, web PI command line tool and basically install PHP. Now PHP 5.2 worked really well when you were installing it. It was a very quick, simple process. You just started up the executable when uh, your startup tasks run, but PHP 5.3 had a couple of dependencies, and there was actually um, a dialog box that would have popped up. Oh, now, yeah, startup tasks in the cloud. There's no one there to kind of right. hit any kind of dialog boxes that pop up. And I just sent out a tweet the other day. Actually, uh, if a dialog box. <laughs> <laughs> is opened in the cloud and no one around is around to click it. Is it really there? <laughs> and it just basically, I don't know. It, you, you had to try and find a workaround for that. So what the, what the team for WebPI did is they went and they added an accept, uh, accept end user license agreement, uh, command line switch. And basically that would take care of any, uh, dialog boxes that popped up during the installation Whoa. using WebPI. See, I remember that we had dealt with these issues with Windows Server boxes where anything that would pop as a dialog went to the event handlers so that you just showed up as an event entry in the errors logs. I've gotten the thing on Windows Server, Richard, where you right-click something, you know, you're running remote access, you right-click to select run as administrator, and the dialog box pops up somewhere else and then you're locked 
Yeah, I've had that problem. But, you know, generally, popping up a dialog box in a web app, mm, not a good idea. Or anything that's going to run on a server, any install that's going to run on a server. I hate that. Yeah, so I'm just surprised that uh, you're actually able to get at Windows enough in Azure to be able to actually do that. You know, I thought all of this was isolated from us, that we couldn't touch the Windows part of Azure at all. That's, uh, yeah, Windows is relatively isolated. Um, you can do a lot of modifications using startup tasks. Like, uh, I wrote a whole blog post on how to um, use PowerShell scripts within a startup task. And you basically, uh, you have to check, you have to change the execution policy, and then you can actually start executing PowerShell scripts, and that can start manipulating Windows. Um, the, the biggest thing and the reason why they kind of said that uh, you don't really have access to the, the underlying OS is the fact that there's no real persistence there. So if you go and you start fiddling around a lot, uh, unless it's part of your startup process and it runs every single time that your your instance restarts, uh, it, it gets lost if, if your instance was to go down for any any reason. So anything you can plug into the startup process gets saved as part of a configuration so when you fire up new instances, you get all that stuff. But actual configuration inside of Azure, is everything's temporary. Yeah, like you can actually go and you can remote desktop into your Azure instance, and you can start fiddling around there and changing settings and everything. Um, but if it comes time to either upgrade your role to the, a new version of the guest OS, or um, if you're, if the machine fails or whatever, and your instance comes down um, and gets moved over to another machine, then any of those settings that you set when you're doing RDP have now been lost. Okay. Let's talk about those, uh, you know, the, the dependency that popped up this dialogue in the first place. I imagine that's going to be a common experience with anyone installing, you know, open source or, or ported software from, uh, you know, onto Azure or, or into any platform that's, you know, a port. What kinds of dependencies are there? And, and has that been a, uh, a constant problem or is that just a, you know, it comes with the territory. It, come, it comes with the territory. I'd say that a lot of installers nowadays, if there is a command line install for it, they have um, that the quiet install switch where it just kind of says, okay, I'm not going to pop up any dialogues because there isn't anyone sitting here checking up on the, the install process. Mm-hmm. So anything that you can do along those lines that has a quiet installer, it's good. Uh, you can push that into a startup task without any issues. It becomes the, the point where... You know, you get that one application that you absolutely need for your your app in the cloud, and there's no quiet install or anything along those lines. Yeah, and that's where you start getting into the the VM role because uh, yeah. you have to set up, you know, one major dependency for your application, and there isn't a quiet installer for for that scenario. And and in terms of compatibility uh, with a with Windows Server, are, do you find that installing applications that are written for Windows Server in general run no problem in, uh, or are there standard gotchas that that accompany that situation? The OS for Windows Azure is actually Windows Server 2008, um, either Service Pack 1 or R2. And there's there's a switch that you can use. It's the, uh, the OS family. And basically, if you use OS family 1, you're using... Server 2008, Service Pack 1. If you use OS Family 2, you're using Server 2008 R2. Mm-hmm. 
And basically, at that point, you're you're right down to your basic um, server operating system. But so you, there, but it is UI-less, right? Uh, no. Well, you're doing everything through configuration. Right. But right? There's no graphical so, user interface, so anything that talks to the GUI is not going to work. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if you're looking at it that way, if you actually have to sit there and you do a man install, then um, you won't be able to talk to a GUI. But uh, you know, that's where that that VM role scenario comes right. in. Is you have to, if you are doing the guide installation, if someone's sitting in front of the activation, then there's no real gotchas because you're still working with the same server operating system. It right. just becomes, you know, the same process that you typically do. Um, and then you're running sysprep and then pushing it into the cloud um, using one of the command line tools for for Azure. But um, yeah, okay. With with Visual Studio, it's a little easier. You know, when you're running on .NET, you just have that sort of pushing up support built in. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you about JustMock, Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools. JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at Telerik.com slash JustMock. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. Where did the, uh, the web platform installer come into this? When did the web platform installer come into this? Yeah, is is that that's where you got PHP from? Yeah. Uh, so I, I set out and started um, started doing the installation process with PowerShell, and I basically went in uh, remotely connected with web client to uh, PHP.net, downloaded the install package, figured out how to unzip it, and I was working on doing that as a deployment model, and then I did a quick Bing search for setting up PHP, and I noticed that the web platform installer actually used that functionality. So I started to think, like, what if I could just download the web platform installer and then allow that to go and set up everything in IAS instead of having to script out everything within PowerShell? And then I I came across another post saying that they were actually going to be releasing a command line version of the uh, the web platform installer and that's where I basically went well mm. this is the most optimal way to to install something in Azure right because everything's relatively handled you can do a lot with the web platform installer I should just be using this yeah because my first thought when you think I'm going to use a web platform installers that's a that's a wizard that's a lot of, of dialogues to make that work but I did not know that there was a command line version of the web platform installer that's pretty cool yeah, they they basically released it specifically for Azure, but there is a there's an x86 version and then there's an NECPU version, and you want to use the NECPU version when you're trying to deploy something within Azure, uh, just because most well all of the Azure instances are running 64-bit software, right? And the 64-bit operating system, so that's the that's the the tool you want to use. But if you have anything that you want to set up that's using the web PI, you can basically go ahead and just install everything through that. That's very neat. I, I did not realize that was there because there's all kinds of things in the web platform installer. This is all for the web role in, in Azure? Yeah. The, the only difference between the web role and the worker role is basically the web role already has IIS set up and everything. But you could okay. use, if you were encoding video and you wanted to install video encoder 
on a worker role, you could still set that up through web platform installer. You just wouldn't be using any components in IIS. But you could still use that tool to install, uh, oh, what's it called, expression encoder? Right. Right. Within a within a worker role. Right. It's interesting that that's the only difference between the two. They're just pre-configured that way. So you're using a web role and then using web PI command line to push against that the the copy of IIS and set up all the PHP stuff. Like there's a lot of different pieces that have to be installed. Yep. There's the PHP HTTP handler mapping that you need to set up for FastCGI. Mm-hmm. So it needs to know exactly that it goes to the FastCGI module, which it also sets up. Uh, and then it just basically, it also installs the PHP executables within program files. So there's a lot of different pieces that if I did go that PowerShell route, that I'd have to try and manually go through a script through the entire process. Um, but the WebPI installer does it nice and nice and neatly. Nice. So where does the Windows Azure SDK fit into the equation? Um, another piece that I did install is there's the PHP version of the Windows Azure SDK. So if you wanted to use uh, table storage, blob storage, queues, or any other functionality that Azure can provide, there is a port for the SDK in PHP. So I went and installed that as well. And it's just basically taking the the DLL and pushing it into the extensions folder within the PHP folder on your box. And then basically you can use that uh, it's going to load up that module in the PHP handler, and you can use that to execute functionality against storage, the storage providers. So, so this is really not a hack. This is actually a supported configuration by Windows Azure. Mm. Yeah, they actually have uh, SDKs for a lot of open source languages. There's a Ruby SDK, there's a Java SDK. So they've actually gone through, and that's why that's why I'm trying to kind of push this along is the fact that. Microsoft's really supporting open source here on Windows Azure, and no right. one's kind of pushing it out there and saying, hey, look, you can do this on Azure. You might as well use the system that we've pulled up and we're, we're going to be constantly moving forward with um, in the open source world. So I just, I'm just i trying to call it out as much as I possibly can um, to get people on the platform because it's a great platform. Yeah. Well, it makes you wonder, do you remember that whole Windows Live thing where they migrated all their blogs over to WordPress? Mm. Yeah. I keep getting emails about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, does I guess the question is, are they going to migrate it to Azure? Because I think I remember reading somewhere when that happened. They said specifically, we're not going to Azure. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't, because look at this. This is PHP thoroughly supported in Azure. Yeah, there's there's even, um, for WordPress specific, there's, there's different plugins for WordPress that people have created for uh, WordPress to support Azure blob storage. So if you're uploading pictures for your blog post, you can, uh, the pictures go directly to blob storage. Right. And then, um, if you want to reuse any of those pictures, it goes through and it lists all the images that are already sitting within your blob storage account. So you can just go and pick the picture and there it is on your blog post. No, we, nice. we really, we talked about the SQL server aspect, but MySQL is also supported. Is that part of, uh, is that part of the PI installer? Right out of the box, no. Um, there is another. Uh, there's another component that you can use to install MySQL within Azure, and one of the things is there's a there's a project called Windows Azure Companion, mm-hmm. and basically what this is is it 
It's a package that you install into Windows Azure, and you can go through, and it actually has a number of different packages that are just waiting for for configuration, basically. So you can go in and you can set up WordPress using the Azure Companion. I think Drupal is also included within there. So if you wanted, um, if you wanted to use Drupal as a CMS within Azure, uh, it's a full PHP application, but it's supported there. Um, but the Windows Azure Companion will actually go through and set up MySQL mm. uh, for you or uh, MariaDB, yeah. which is, uh, I think, a, a NoSQL database. Wow. I'm stunned. I, don't, I didn't know any of this existed. Well, I knew about PHP, but I didn't certainly know about the, uh, the Companion. That's pretty cool. The Windows Azure Companion's there, and then there's also another project that's just pure, hey, you want to install MySQL within a worker role. Um, Microsoft's gone through and done a lot of that plumbing as well. So, huh? That's really, really an interesting position for Microsoft to take. I think that uh, you know they're in the business. Of, they have their hooks in so many things. You know that this is clearly about the platform, about the Azure platform, not about selling SQL Server licenses. Yeah, it's definitely about the platform. The uh, the MySQL version is actually called My Azure PHP, <laughs> and that uh, that's a full project that all you need to do is provide the the MySQL bits that you want to install into it into a particular directory, and you can compile that and plug it into a worker role, and that's MySQL working on Windows Azure. Wow. Now, do you think that they're really going for? I mean, they're they're competing pretty well head to head with Amazon in terms of price, or at least the last time I checked. Is is that still the case? They're, yeah, they're basically head-to-head with Amazon. Um, some right. of the machines have different specifications. Like, if you look at Amazon's small instance, it's running 32-bit. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's only a 32-bit processor, and right. it's running 32-bit applications, as where Azure's running full 64-bit on any... On everything. Uh, any one of the instances you select. And and Amazon also charges more for the 64-bit version. Yeah, because you have to move up to the next level. Like you'd have to, right. you wouldn't be able to use a small instance in Amazon. You'd actually have to move up to a, a bigger to, instance to get the 64-bit support. You have to migrate it up. So we don't we don't have any of those migration issues with Azure, or do we with Azure? Uh, I wouldn't say that you you would have any kind of migration issues. Um, everything's running the 64-bit. It's right. just choosing the proper instance size that's going to support your application because they all have different RAM allocation. They also have different I.O. throughput. So you have to kind of pick and choose from there, but you could scale up um, to a bigger role with or to a bigger instance size with no actual migration issues whatsoever. Well, now now I'm, now I'm thinking about the differences here between Amazon and, and Azure. Because in Amazon, it's just a virtual machine. It's your OS install. It's There's a lot of configuring to do there. It's different than the way you would do this on Azure. Definitely, yes. Um, Microsoft has a number of base uh, guest OSs, and you just basically choose the image that you want to use, and everything's all set up, configured. Uh, you don't have to worry about what license you're running for, for Windows that's provided with the platform. Nice. All right. Yeah, no, this is the way to go. Now, okay, let's get back to the database side of things. I'm trying to understand why I would want to run MySQL in a worker role when I have the whole data storage aspects of Azure available to us. Well, because you have software that's written in PHP that only runs against MySQL. Is that necessarily true, Corey? Because you were talking about how WordPress was working with the Azure Store. Well, there's a lot of them that don't. 
Well, if you're if you're migrating an application, uh, when you're initially looking at the migration path, you go, well, is it really worth moving everything over to SQL Azure uh, right now, or do we just want to get our application into the cloud and then focus on optimization later? Right. Um, so I think that MySQL could be a great point for um, migrating your data initially and then going, okay, now that we're on the platform, let's evaluate how we can reconfigure our application to work better in the cloud. Um, but yeah, for the initial migration, there's a good chance that uh, if you're running PHP, you're running MySQL, and you don't really want to necessarily move off that platform right away because there could be a lot of code changes that you'd have to make there. Right, you definitely have to change the provider that you're using, and if you haven't gone ahead and abstracted out your data access layer, and you're doing all of your database calls in line, that's a lot of code changes. So just initially, when you're moving to the cloud, you're definitely probably just going to migrate all your data directly to a MySQL instance that's running in the cloud, and then you can go and go, all right, now that we're here, where can we go from here? And then that's the kind of steps that you start going wrong. So what happens when it comes to scalability here? Can you spread it across multiple instances, like all that load balancing stuff? Have you done any of that? Um, right now, I've been working on a single instance. Um, if you need control over your load balancer, that's one thing where Azure as a platform, they don't provide a lot of control with the load balancer. It's just kind of there, and it will balance to the instances that you have. Right. So it all comes down to the statelessness of your application. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's the thing that you need to kind of think about when you're considering moving open source to, uh, to Azure is I don't have as much control over the load balancers. So if I'm using session, I don't have, you know, sticky HTTP sessions. So it's not going to go to the same server every time. It's really kind of a round robin kind of, Hey, here I am. What servers available? What has the capacity to serve up this? Uh, the site at the moment, and then you get routed over there. So that's one of the pieces that you kind of need to to evaluate. Yeah, no, that's very interesting that there is no sticky load balancing option at all. Hmm. You can you can configure it. Um, if have you heard of the Cloud Cover show? No, what's that? Tell us. So Cloud Cover is the show on Channel Nine, and basically it's Steve Marks and now Wade Wagner, uh, and they basically go through things you might not know uh, that can happen within Windows Azure. Cool. Uh, now, a little while ago, uh, Ryan Dunn, he was an evangelist for Microsoft. He's since left. Um, but they went through, Stephen Ryan went through a scenario where you could actually set up uh, sticky HTTP sessions. And you basically just had a router instance uh, sitting in front of the load balancer, and then that would actually go and balance out your sessions as you went. Uh, so if you wanted to watch that show, you know, you could go out and you can provide sticky HTTP sessions to the actual servers that served up the original session. But um, that's kind of a that's a workaround, kind of a hack thing. But if you if your application's already set up in that way, uh, it gives you that one more step that you can you can move and move into a scalable scenario, uh, and then look towards um, optimizing the process later. Yeah, I was thinking that's a hack for a hack. That you need because you need, uh, you know, affinity to a given instance. You have to put this other hack in place. The correct answer is don't do that. Oh, definitely, yeah. You you want to try and uh, you, you definitely want to try and keep your web application as stateless as possible, sure. so you don't have to go ahead and. 
put different barriers in front of um, getting to the actual application itself. What's the story with diagnostics in PHP? Um, getting performance counters, getting uh, writing to logs, configuration, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's all included within that PHP. So it's not an Azure-specific uh, set of logging? It's really inside of PHP or inside of the tools that you're working in? Well, there is. Um, Azure has its own diagnostics SDK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, actually, part of that um, PHP SDK for Windows Azure, um, they've gone ahead and they've wrapped up the Azure diagnostics within the DLL. So if you wanted to go uh, in your application and use the APIs for diagnostics within Windows Azure, you just have to go and use the Windows Azure SDK for PHP uh, component, and then you can actually go figure out your your diagnostics logging. Uh, I think you can still grab IAS logs from PHP. Mm-hmm. And is it the same level of support that you would get in ASP.NET? Not 100% sure on that. Um, it's possible. It, it would be the same support because everything's exposed as a, a REST API. Um, so you'd have support for the, the REST implementation, but for the actual wrapping code that's ra- like PHP's wrapping that REST API, I don't know if you'd have the same level of support for that because this mm. is like a third-party yeah. uh, plugin that you'd be using at this point. Okay. I noticed that there is a couple of different PHP SDKs for Azure. There's one on CodePlex, and there's also one on the Microsoft site, which is the the App Fabric SDK for PHP. Are these different or the same? I'm I'm getting confused. Uh, the PHP Azure at CodePlex, uh, Microsoft sponsored the the development of it. Um, there is also the other App Fabric SDK, and that's separate from the one that's sitting on CodePlex. Um, so I'm not sure about the, the different support levels between the different components, um, but Microsoft's gone ahead and sponsored the different projects, so I wouldn't be I surprised see. if there's some support there. Uh, it just depends on what level of support they actually provide. Pretty darn cool. Yeah, and it looks looks like different companies that are building them, so yeah, almost could be competitors. Yeah, it's possible. Those things happen. There's more than one way to skin the cat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Not that I have anything <laughs> against cats. <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm kind of staggered, actually. Is there other open source stuff that runs inside of Azure like this? Yeah. Uh, Steve Marks, he's oh, the technical strategist, I think his his title is now. Um, he's actually running his blog, and it's a, it's a blog that blog engine that's made on Ruby. So he's running Ruby on Rails in Azure, and his blog is running, uh, I can't remember what blog engine he's using, but it's running with Rails. Um, he's created another different reporting application using Python. Uh, so, you know, open source is definitely sitting within the Azure scope. Um, one of our, I'm Canadian, and one of our local uh, evangelists here, Barnaby Jeans, he's actually gone yep. ahead and he's been running some Java uh, sitting on Windows Azure for quite a while now. I think it's getting close to a year. So um, there's a whole bunch of different open source projects um, sitting within Azure, and you know, open source languages are definitely supported all throughout the Windows Azure platform. So it's a great place to be if you're an open source. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and totally unexpected. 
At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Hey, tell us about the Windows Azure Pass. So the Windows Azure Pass um, definitely varies per region, um, but the stats that I've found is they give you uh, four small compute instances with three gigabytes of storage, uh, 250,000 storage transactions, and that's basically enough for you to start out and try and figure out how to use Azure. Um, you're also in- included two one-gigabyte web editions of the data of SQL Azure, uh, a number of different connectivity points through the App Fabric service bus. So you get two connections there um, with a hundred thousand access control transactions. So there's a oh. lot of things that are just kind of pushed out there. So let's kind of take a step back and look at the App Fabric component. So the App Fabric service bus is somewhat like an enterprise service bus where it actually provides connectivity between uh, your on-premise and the cloud scenario. Mm -hmm. So that's built on top of WCF. So it gives you the abilities in .NET or there's a number of SDKs for open source as well to kind of go back and forth between uh, what you may be hosting on-premise and what you've pushed into the cloud so far. So that's a scenario that we kind of talked about earlier with MySQL well, what if I don't want to move my database to the cloud because I'm not 100% sure about running my SQL in a worker role? You can definitely test out using um, the App Fabric service bus to keep your MySQL databases on-premise, but then move your applications to the cloud. So the Windows Azure Pass gives you the ability to do that. And there's actually a token up here in Canada because it's you need to provide a token in order to get access. So if you use CDNDEVS, that's Canadian Devs, mm-hmm. um, that will give you access to this whole package of the Windows Azure Pass. Cool. Wow, that's neat. little bonus for listening to .NET Rocks. If you're Canadian. Richard, today, we are all Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I just did a blog post on this and just kind of poking around at different websites. There's actually different passes everywhere. So um, I've listed out five passes on the blog post that I've created, and you can actually get global reach. Um, So if you're over in Europe or Asia, you can still get access to um, the Windows Azure Pass, um, but you might have to filter through the different tokens that I've found on the web. Awesome. So tell me about Azure Fest. So Azure Fest is something that ObjectSharp, I work for ObjectSharp, we're a consulting and training company here in Canada. ObjectSharp and Microsoft went together Uh, And it was kind of introduced as a get rid of the barriers into Azure and figure out how you can actually start leveraging the platform. So we've brought everyone together uh, in December. There's about 100 attendees, and uh, we stepped everyone through the registration process. Uh, We didn't have the Azure Pass back then, so people had to bring their credit cards, and we got everyone signed up for the introductory offer. And then we went and walked through... Um, a simple deployment using the Nerd Dinner application. Uh-huh. Um, so we, w- what I did ahead of time is I went and 
converted near dinner to work in the cloud, which was basically changing the connection string to point to SQL Azure instead of uh, the on, the regular SQL server instance that I was using. Uh-huh. And uh, we got everyone in the audience to just deploy that application using the uh, web-based management portal. Okay. And that was the entire Azure Fest. So since then, we've actually went and we're starting to package this up and we were making it available um, for anyone where we've distributed it to a, a number of MVPs within Canada and a number of different user groups. But I'm looking to go one step further and we'll actually provide this information to anyone across the world. So if anyone wants to host an Azure Fest, um, we'll have the information online soon uh, that they can get a full package, how to run the event, um, how to kind of schedule out the day and get everyone running with Azure Fest um, wherever they would like to put one on. That's awesome. So that that uh, it went well then, I take it? It went really well. Um, actually, it kind of sparked a article by a local evangelist, uh, Jonathan Rosenblatt. He went and he created uh, an article on deploying a sim- simple cloud application to Windows Azure. And he basically went through step-by-step um, deploying the Nerd Dinner application to, to Azure. And it's all done in a blog, so... You don't have to go through the videos that we've created as part of Azure Fest. You can just read it, look at the important points for you, and then move up to the cloud um, or get your first application deployed to the cloud by following some simple steps on a blog post. Awesome. Well, uh, is there anything else that you want to tell us about before we sign off? No, I think I'm pretty good. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for uh, sharing this with us, Corey. It sounds great, and it's good to see that Microsoft is doing good things with the open source community. Definitely. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.